Welcome to Control the Controllables. My name is John McGahan from Max Tennis Academy in Ireland, and I'm here with my co-host, Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis in Spain. Together we have created a podcast, bringing some of the top tennis athletes and tennis coaches from across the globe together. We hope you enjoy our next episode. Welcome to episode 39 of Control the Controllables. This is part four of our Mental Health Awareness Week. As good as I believe the podcasts have been, if there's one podcast to listen to about 39, this is the one, guys. It's, it's incredible. Joe Dixon. Joe was a, was a coach at Soto Tennis for six years. Um, he's a fantastic coach, works with a lot of international level players. He's now in Hampshire in the UK. Uh, Joe has had his his struggles throughout the year throughout the years. Um, he's always kept his professionalism in how he's worked, but for the first time he's he's opened up to share his story so that so that people can learn from this. It's been a, it's a very, very brave, courageous thing that Joe's done. I've listened back as I've been editing, and I'm, I am very close to Joe, but it, it completely moved me, listening it to the second time and the third time around. And, and I've learned so much from it that it's going to give me a lot more empathy with people that, that are having difficulties with mental health. And, and it's a taboo topic that I'm so pleased that we're now getting out into the open. And, and I just want to say a massive thank you to Joe Dixon for this. This absolutely needs to be shared far and wide. This is not a tennis thing. This is a life thing. And, and I really, really encourage everybody who listens, if it impacts you in any way, please share it. Um, get it into the right hands. It's it's the sort of podcast that could could save lives and it could it could really turn someone's life around. So without me going on too much more, here's Joe Dixon. Joe Dixon, absolutely brilliant to have you on Control the Controllables. A big big thank you from myself and Dan for giving your time up tonight. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Yeah, loved the uh, loved all the podcasts so far. So um, yeah, really, uh, really pleased to be here. Thank you. And uh, just for the listeners, Joe, I know you've had um, six years work at Soho Tennis Academy with Dan, and uh, you've worked with many international uh, tennis players. Uh, you're now working in Hampshire, and a couple of years back, you were also at my home club in Dundalk, where you brought an academy over from Soho Tennis. Very special times, man. Again, a big, big thank you for coming on tonight. It's great to see you. No worries, man. Yeah, great memories from that tournament as well. That was, uh, yeah, that was a really good one. One of the favourites. And welcome, Joe. It's, it's, a, it's, a special, it's a special podcast for me, you know, to have you on. A, you know, one of my best mates, someone who I've worked with for, for a long, long time. And, and actually, I think to start with, and we're going to go, we're going to go into your story which, which is, 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 a, is a fascinating story and it's going to, I think it's going to take the listeners through some, you know, some deep dark bits, some turns and some roller coasters. Um, and, and the fact that you are in a position to, 
talk so strongly about what you've been through and, and getting it out there to, to, to really help people, you know, is, is, is really special to me. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to speaking, speaking about it. Um, and, and I know that it's going to have a big effect on, on many people. Cheers, kiddo. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we'll get into this more later, but when, like I, I even heard the uh, Robin Sodling thing today when he posted on, yeah. on Instagram and stuff. And um, like, I know when I wasn't feeling great, that sort of thing would help massively. So, uh, so yeah, even if it, you know, if it helps one person, 1%, then it's, then it's great. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm at, the, at the risk of repeating myself because we have done a lot of these podcasts during Mental Health Awareness Week, but I've said it a few times. There's the correlation with what's happened in the pandemic, I think, in terms of how we all need to come together to be able to share our experiences is massive because I think a lot of us avoided mental health problems throughout the pandemic because we knew that other people were going through it as well. Yeah. And, there was, and there was a real comfort that we all took, I think, from that. And, and I think, you know, these stories coming through, I hope can really provide a comfort to, to people that are going through. I think it's, they say it's one in three adults have, have mental health problems. You know, it's a, it's a very, very high number. For me, I, I actually think it's 100% of people. Like, yeah. you know, if you say, if I said to you, have you ever had a physical health problem? Then you know whether that be you've been lucky and you've only had a common cold or you've had yeah. you know flu one time or something. I, I I think every single person on the planet has had mental health issues, yeah, to a lesser or or, or, or larger yeah. degree. You know, I know, no, absolutely, and, and that's that's gonna be. You've just made our. You've all. I tell you, we're five minutes in, and Joe Dixon has already given us that nugget. <laughs> that's that's going to be the the sort and 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 completely I I I completely agree. You know, I've I've actually never heard that before, but I I completely agree with it. Yeah. Um, what I'd like to do is is not just because I think you've got such a good story to tell, and I, and I think there is real context to your life into into how all of this this fits together, including some real real positive moments and 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 as you're as you're having right now as well where where did your tennis bit start how you know tell us about your early years and yeah how I mean so, yeah I, I um I mean I was actually really lucky in my early years where I mean I was completely obsessed with any sport to be honest so football tennis cricket golf you know kind of every sport going I played and and watched and and still to this day it's you know it's my my favorite thing to do um but I was actually lucky I my parents ran a, a holiday site up until I was 12 um and we lived on a on a house there so I had like amazing facilities like I had a tennis court on the on the site football like big area for a football pitch big area for a cricket pitch hundreds of kids coming in every summer that you just made friends with and and just yeah you just you know the sort of thing in some holidays I'd, I'd go out at seven o'clock in the morning after some breakfast and then I'd come back at nine o'clock at night and, and go to bed and then do the same for six weeks you know you just go out and, and play um so yeah I, ha I had a really really fortunate um start to life where where I could I could play any sport going really um football was probably my big thing to start with yeah. Um, so I was, I was always, I played a lot of football, played a bit of tennis. Um, but then 
uh, when I went into kind of my teenage years, I started to to kind of get the bug with tennis. And once uh, once I joined a club and and had a few lessons, and I remember, um, you know, it, it's the same with lots of I'm sure lots of stories you guys have heard on the podcast. But I was lucky to meet a really good coach and a, a guy called Dave Gatrell. Um, so I guess kind of similar to to lots of people's stories, but he he was great to me. He he. Um, yeah, just filled me with a with a love of the sport, um, and it didn't really go from there. So I kind of drifted away from football a bit in terms of playing. Played more tennis, and yeah, kind of haven't looked back ever since then. Really. So is it is it Dave? Is it Dave that we've got to thank for your for your Fabrice Santoro style of tennis? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's also um, so so going back to that, I, I used to play when I was like seven, eight, nine on a wall against my house but it was there was only about six feet of court of uh, of like of, of road and it was on a downward slope so like i didn't have time to to change grip so yeah just went two hands both sides played a bit of cricket um and then yeah when i when i went to i was probably pretty stubborn as well when i went to dave i, I kind of um i wanted to carry on with that so uh, so yeah so dave to dave to thank for that and you and you moved into being a coach pretty young, huh? Yeah. Um, so I, um, at 18, 17, 18, I went into, so I took my first qualification when I was 16. Yeah. Um, I then, I actually went out to, uh, to Australia for six months and I worked at um, Pat Cash Academy out there. Um, so I was there for six months and just as a, I was doing everything, so just kind of hitting in with any session, working behind the bar, cleaning, gardening, just kind of went there, did like kind of like the work play program that that they yeah. used to do at Soto. Um, so yeah, just kind of went there, great experience, and then that kind of opened my eyes to, to going down, and I guess a more kind of, for lack of a better word, a more kind of performance route with things, but but that that really gave me the bug with coaching as well, and I knew I wasn't going to be a great player, so... The idea of staying in the sport and helping people and uh, yeah, that, that just, that was big for me. I, I really wanted to do it from, I knew, I knew from 14, 15, I wanted to be a tennis coach. Yeah, I remember, the, I actually remember the first day, sorry, Dan, that I saw uh, Joe um, over in Soto Tennis. I think it was your first day there working at the academy and you had a group of tennis players. I was there with Nathan Rooney. And um, I remember watching you doing an, an encore session with the guys there on the court, and it was it was great to watch you. Just the enthusiasm and the energy that was coming off your first day on court. Um, yeah, I, I remember that actually, John, because um, I remember being a, a bit uh, a bit uncomfortable as well because EasyJet had lost my my uh, my bag on the flight, so I was wearing a full Nathan Rooney outfit for the uh, for my first day. Um, <laughs> So yeah, so uh, not not the best, not the best start. But yeah, I mean, we'll go into more. But Soto was was great. Yeah, I, I loved it. So I was in my element from 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 day one, really. And I think also worth sharing with the listeners, Joan, and certainly to young coaches out there. Joe actually brought a group of players over from where he was working, Kingsley, yeah. in the UK, over to Soto. So when when he applied for the job. He'd impressed so much with how you'd run that trip 
you know, because in terms, quite difficult, you know, when you, in, at Spanish tennis academies, you tend to have hundreds of people just apply because they go Spain tennis academy, yep, chuck your application in. So to kind of differentiate yourself in terms of being able to, to, to talk to people, you know, but by by the proactivity that and you might have been what twenty two at the time, maybe Joe. Uh, twenty two, twenty three, yeah, something like that. You know, so quite a young lad, but someone who, like I say, impressed so much in how we organised that trip, the communications. People are making impressions all the time, you know, and I think it's an important one for for people to remember. And it might be ten years down the line, it might be five years down the line. But that made it very easy for me to to trust Joe to come in, and it was obviously one one of the best decisions we've ever made, you know. And gave six amazing years. In terms of in terms of your, the mental health side of things, yeah. Did you, on reflection, did you have have difficulties when you were younger? Uh, you, yeah. At so, what age did you know? Yeah, you, I mean, so so um. My my kind of theory on it. I also want to stress that I'm not an expert in this. You know, I'm not I'm not a qualified expert. I'm just going from my experience. Yeah. Um, and and my my thing is I I always think it was as how full as my glass. So with that, you know, your your glass will be full from just genetics in terms, of, you know, natural things that you may be more you have more tendency to then having some issues. Um, life events I think is also a big one. Yeah. And then, and then lifestyle and, and habits, I think is, is then the other thing. Um, and I think there's also ways that you can pour a bit of water out the glass with, with, with lifestyle choices and, and whatever else. And we'll go into that later. Um, but I guess the big, the big thing that, that happened to me is when I was, when I was 12, my, my dad passed away pretty suddenly. Um, and that, yeah, I mean, that knocked me, knocked me sideways. So, yeah. um, you know, that was, I guess, you know, from having my first 12 years where I had like an unbelievable childhood really for my first 12 years. And my, if I think of my glass of water in terms of mental health was pretty, was pretty low and manageable. That then made a big difference. And I actually remember now, because also, you know, mental health just wasn't talked about then. You know, I'd never, you never even really heard of it. So um, I actually had maybe, so my dad died when I was 12 and then maybe at 13, I, I had eight weeks off school. Okay. And, and uh, yeah, like I went to the doctor a lot and I, I didn't know what it was. Um, and they thought maybe like glandular fever or something or, you know, something like that. But looking, looking back now, I, I know that was kind of my first, that was my first problem with, with depression, I guess. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so looking back now, knowing what I know now, I, I can see all the signs for sure. Back then, I just thought, I'm not feeling good. I've got no energy. Yeah. I'm feeling pretty negative about things. Um, pretty anxious about doing just normal everyday things that I've been doing my whole life. Um, so yeah, so that that life event when I, like I said, that analogy of my my glass of water. Obviously, my dad passing then put a load of water in that glass, which then which then led to it being, uh, being pretty tough. And, and do you think you, again, we're talking about, and you're not that old, but we're talking about 20 years ago. Yeah. Did you speak to counsellors? Did you speak to people at that time? Because I guess that grief counselling would happen immediately now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, literally nothing at all. 
didn't speak to any anybody not not even a not even really my mum like I didn't speak to anybody at all yeah about it really so that sat there that yeah that's that, that sat there as, as as a big event obviously for yeah yeah but I, didn't, I almost didn't really realize it like you know you're a kid and you kind of you don't realize how final that is you know so I, I remember um Sounds really bad, but I, I remember when my, my dad my dad died on on fifth uh, of July, and we had a, a big cricket final the next day, like the the Hampshire Schools cricket final, and um, I was so keen to play that. I didn't even really compute it or think of it. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, and then I remember playing in the final, and then just thinking, like look, almost looking around to see because dad my dad would come to any. Yeah. Football match, you know, he'd be a big part of sport. He loved his sport as well. Yeah. And and then, yeah, it was it was kind of twenty four hours later, really. I think I was maybe in a bit of shock, but when I thought, I remember fielding and looking around, and then I realised he wasn't there, yeah. and that that hit me pretty, pretty hard. So it took me maybe twenty four hours to get over the shock of it. But but yeah, didn't really didn't really speak to to anybody about it at all for for many years. And where did where did tennis fit into this? Did was tennis a distraction, a release? You um, know, how did that work? Yeah, I mean, like I said, football was my big thing before. Yeah. But but football, I really associated with my dad. You know, we we talk about it a lot. We go, you know, he took me to Old Trafford a lot of times, and um, so so I actually from from after he died, I don't think I played many you know from playing for club school whatever I don't think I played many more than maybe three or four matches of football since yeah. that that moment um and I, I don't know you know I, don't, I didn't make it consciously that decision but it just that's that's how it happened because I, I linked it so much to him um but then yeah we had to because the other thing when we lived on like I said on the holiday site and that was linked in with mum and dad's job so when he passed we had to then everything changed so you know I lost my dad but we also had to move house as well mum had to change jobs so like everything changed yeah. um and yeah it was kind of my mum just said one day I've I've got your membership at a local club and I'd never had that before I'd only like I said played against the wall or played with with other kids when when they came to the site so um so yeah it just, but once I went like I said I, I met Dave and met some friends there and some guys that are still doing well in in tennis now, Craig Veal was one who's doing a great job with, with a lot of players um, and a lot of other lads as well that have, you know, that it felt like, a, it felt like, I guess, a bit like a family, you know, that sort of, that sort of thing. So, yeah, just became, became obsessed with it, really. And Joe, you, you didn't have any brothers or sisters? Um... Yes, I've got, yeah, I've got, I've got a sister who's five years older. So I, I'm, I'm very much the, the kind of the baby of the family. Um, but yeah, but so I was 12 when my dad died, she was 17, so she'd already left home and stuff actually. So, um, so yeah, so it's just, yeah, just one of those things where, um, it just, it just wasn't spoken about much really, you know? Yeah. No. And when did, when did you first realize that you were, had depression and that you were, you were anxious and um 2013 okay 
so, so 2013. So, so looking back now, I'd say I've had three kind of stages of it. So that time when I was 13 years old or 14 years old or whatever, I then had um, a kind of a, yeah, a bit, a bit of a, where I first realized I, I had depression. I felt like I had depression and first went to a doctor's and got, got diagnosed with depression in 2013. Um, and then, I mean, 2018 was the, you know, 2018 for me was just a, a terrible, terrible year. So um, that's when, you know, then I fully knew that, that I was really, I was really struggling and really wasn't well. And, and so obviously 2013, for the, for the listeners, you were, you were working at Soto Tennis at the time. Yeah. And, and do you, what triggered that? You know, so at that time, was it was it anything? I mean, I, I, I guess one of my memories of it with you as a as a young coach. I mean, you always did a brilliant job, but it was quite a, a testosterone fueled environment at that. Time. Yeah, and, and and there was times that I certainly noticed that that maybe that environment got to you. So yeah, I think um, definitely. Like I said, if I use that the, the the water analogy again, yeah, I I always kind of thrived on on competition, and so rightly or wrongly, and I know Kino, we've had this chat many times, but 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 I always wanted to, you know, I'd never want to be a weak link in a team. I'd always want to be, I would always want to be the one of the best in the team, if not the best. Feel like I'm doing a good job. Um, the the thing that actually I think looking back. Um, you know, I'd done four years at Kingsley where I just, you know, I'd worked, worked nonstop um, and then went to Soto. And just with our personal situation, my, my wife was still at university. So I went out there um, and then was living by myself. And I, th I think that in hindsight, that was a, a big reason for it as well. You know, so I had already kind of obsessive over tennis and coaching and my work, but but that then didn't help because... You know, I didn't have to get back at a certain times, so I'd stay and I'd do always do extra hours, and um, and then I would, you know, I'd fill my time by thinking more about tennis and more about work, and I kind of just lost the, I lost the balance with everything, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I think that on top, so like I said, those lifestyle and habits that you have adds to the to the water that you already have in the in, in the glass, and then like I said, that's when it becomes a bit more unmanageable. No, no, absolutely. And in a sports environment like that, uh, how difficult it is, is it to open up on mental health and how you're feeling? Yeah, so, so hard, so hard. And I think it's, you know, in tennis where, you know, back in the day you're taught to not show your emotions, um, you're taught to not show any kind of weakness to your opponent, um, so it's kind of you know it's, it's kind of drilled into you as as a kid to to not show any kind of vulnerability. Um, so that yeah, I I still remember. I don't know if you remember Dan, but I still remember that that combo that I had with you in in the rock club actually, where I I said, look, I I, I think I might have depression. Yep. Um, and um, and yeah, and that was. For me, like looking back now, that was a massive moment for me because that's the first time I'd ever said it out loud to anybody apart from my wife. 
Um, so yeah, so that that was a, a massive moment. And I think one looking back that it was vital that I did that. If I hadn't have done that, I think it would have been it would have been really, really tough. Yeah. And then just for the listeners, I mean, for the, because obviously, I mean, we have to we have to respect they don't know the story. Yeah. You know, me, me and me and you do, and you know, I've certainly been pretty close to it the whole way through and with yeah. you the whole way through what what steps were then taken so i made you know and like i said i i was very lucky with and not just saying this because because i'm on your podcast but but you were very understanding with it um so i then i i think if i remember rightly it was around christmas time anyway so i went back from my christmas holidays a bit early um and then yeah, and it quickly it quickly became a bit worse, um, and I then reluctantly went to a doctor, um, and and was you know she she then diagnosed me with with depression and then went for my first um, counselling session in in that Christmas holidays, um, and it kept, became pretty clear that especially in the in the role that I was doing as a you know, being responsible for for lots of young tennis players. And, you know, at that time as well, you know, I was going on trips abroad, quite, you know, maybe traveling 10, 12, 15 weeks a year or whatever. It just, it wasn't, I had to, or we had to make the decision that it was best for me to stay home for a little bit and try and get better. And, and, a, and a couple of things on that, Joel. One, one of the things that has always amazed me about about you and your situation but also i've now been in a situation where I, there has been quite a lot of strong mental health problems ar around me with in, in different I've, I've had a lot of experience now in 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 dealing with it and being confidant and being you know which which i'd never had before i didn't have the full understanding of it before what always amazed me is it never really showed at work. Yeah. Yeah. Like your, your, your ability to, to, and, and we're going back forward to 2018 now, but you were texting me some very deep, dark things. Yeah. But then you were then texting our Soto tennis group to say, Hey guys, hope you're well. Um, tomorrow morning, nine o'clock far hard court, you know, you were doing all this organizing. Yeah. And 30 seconds later, texting me deep, dark stuff. And I, I was sat there going, what? What <laughs> yeah. is going on? And, and that's something, I guess, that since I've learned a bit more about depression and, and, and about that, that that is actually quite a normal yeah. situation. So can you describe to the listeners what you were experiencing in those moments mm. when, because I, I don't personally believe it was affecting your day-to-day -day job as such. Yeah. It was obviously affecting you and, and it was eventually going to affect that. Can yeah. you explain that, that bit to the listeners? Yeah, I mean, I, I got to a stage where, um, and I think this is where I lost the balance with things. I became, I became so um, into work and coaching and tennis that actually that's where I felt comfortable. So, so I could, you know, like you said that I could have, I could be feeling so bad when I was at home, like awful. And then all of a sudden 
I'd get on a tennis court and I felt, you know, if I was there from 7.30 in the morning till, till seven at night, I, I felt good at that time. But when I was on a court, I felt good. Um, the danger with that is then you, you, you become reliant on that. So that then again, it leads into, you know, I would do so many sessions and work so much because that's the only time that I felt comfortable. Um, and again, just to use a different analogy, but an, another one that I've kind of gone through with, with, with people I've worked with in terms of mental health professionals is, is talking about almost having four pillars. So, so it could be different for anybody. So, you know, for kids, likely it's, it's going to be tennis, education, friends, family, maybe. Yeah. For me, if I think of it for, for me or for most coaches in their 20s, it's, it's tennis, um, it's uh, family life, social life, hobbies you know they're they're your, your, your kind of pillars my my pillars my three other pillars outside of tennis were absolutely crumbling yeah because because that's when i was conscious of it you know i was feeling terrible but my tennis pillar was really strong yeah so i became so reliant on that yeah instead of actually building those other three pillars back up again because that that was the uncomfortable thing to do yeah um the issue then is it gets to a stage where you can't manage it and can't disguise it anymore. And when the tennis pillar starts to crack, you, that's when you're in trouble because then you've got nothing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it just, I got to, you know, I, I had maybe a year or two where I just felt so comfortable on it. It was the only place I felt comfortable. So I wanted to be there as much as possible. And, and Joe, just uh, on the other pillars, what would be, what are, where are the other pillars in your life that you felt weren't working as well as the tennis? Um, I mean, I mean, everything really. So, um, because, but it was all caused by, by that tennis pillar, if that makes sense. So, because I felt comfortable, I would then, I would then be working 14, 15 hours a day. I mean, and I, I drive Keanu mad because, you know, he'd tell me, go home. Have, a, have some rest or you know what take this weekend have some rest and I, I just couldn't do it I couldn't bring myself to do it so I would then because I was spending all of my time in a work mindset and a work capacity I was then neglecting friendships I was neglecting you know my family I was you know not not through being trying to be an idiot about it but just I felt like I was in survival mode and that's what I had to do so over the course of six months, 12 months, 18 months, um, it's yet yeah, th those other things are just kind of slowly crumbled away and just leaving the tennis. And, and, and then yeah, that's when it gets, uh, it gets a bit scary. And, and when you were at your law in 2013, how, how low did it get? 2018 was worse. Okay. Two, 2013, I was, uh, you know, I felt, I felt anxious, I felt low in mood, but I knew I was going to get better. Like I, I knew, so even when I, when I went back that Christmas, you know, I had that goal of, I, I want to be back. I want to be back at Soto. I want to be back where I, you know, home, Soto was home for me. So I want to be back there soon. And, and I could see light at the end of the tunnel. I just knew I had to sort a few things out. 2018 was a different ball game. So, um, 2018 was after I'd left Soto. So I'd also gone, like I said, that one strong pillar of tennis where I'd felt good in my job. You know, I was at a, an amazing academy. 
uh, responsibility, you know, working with some good players and, and, and good people. In 2018, I was trying to figure out my next step at the same time as everything else crumbling. Um, so I didn't even have the, the, the tennis pillar to, to, to fall back on. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it got, it got really bad. I mean, um, you know, I had, I had maybe four, four or five months where, you know, if I ask you, um, what color the sky is, you'll say it's blue. You know, you, you're so convinced with that. I, I honestly did not think that I would live to see 2019. Like I, I could not see a way possible. I could, I just couldn't, I couldn't even begin to entertain it that I would see 2019. Um, because I just, you know, every day I was overtaken with, with thoughts of, um, uh, not wanting to be here anymore, not, not having any value. And, and, you know, it's so hard to think because on the face of it, you know, especially, you know, it would take just a few months before I was newly married, yep. um, baby on the way, yep. amazing job, like dream job at, at, at Soto Tennis, um, you know, living in an amazing place, great weather, like every, everything should be perfect. Um, but, but yeah, in my mind, it was, I, I, I just felt every day I felt like I didn't, I just didn't want to, I didn't want to live anymore. I didn't want to be here anymore. Um, and after may, maybe to, going into the end of 2018, I had maybe two or three months where that was, you know, I couldn't sleep. Um, or I'd go in stages, I'd either, I couldn't sleep or I'd just sleep all day. Um, and like I said, I was in between jobs. So felt felt worthless in the sense of not being able to provide for my family. Um, not, not being, I felt like my career had come to a, a, a complete stop. Um, and yeah, and just got to the stage where uh, the, the first couple of days of 2019, um, I, took, I took an overdose. And, um, and yeah, I just, um, I, I didn't want to be here anymore. Simple as that. I, I could not see a way that I could I couldn't see a, any any glimmer of hope in the future. It was just like it was completely sucked out of me. And was that? I mean, obviously, you're very fortunate to be here, and, and again, we've we've spoken about this. Yeah. But in in terms of that, is that a selfish move or a selfless move for someone who's experienced that? Like, is yeah. When, what, what are you thinking at that moment? Is that to remove your pain or is that to remove the pain of your loved ones around you? Yeah, but both, both. Um, but like I said, a, a big thing is that feeling of, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing my, my loved ones down. You know, they're, they're, um, you know, they're putting up with stuff that they shouldn't, they shouldn't be putting up with, you know, my wife, she shouldn't be having to deal with this. You know, we're meant to be kind of newlyweds with our lives ahead of us and a, you know, a young family starting. Um, and I, I genuinely thought at the time 
that it would be would be better for her and and for my my whole family if I wasn't here anymore. I felt like I put them through enough, you know, had that year where it's pretty intense and especially because I, I only really opened up for them. So I, I felt it would be better. I felt they would be better off. Simple as that. This question is obviously a very emotive topic. And, 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 but again, I, I feel comfortable asking you this question for the, for the listeners. The listeners might think, why, why has he asked that? Yeah. And the reason I feel comfortable asking this question is because we speak daily. You know, yeah. I, know that, I know that you're in a great place now. You know, I know yeah. that you're fantastically strong. You've built up your pillars. You know, it's not to say you're not going to have more difficulties in the future, as all of us can, because that, that these, you know, life is very, very like that. You know, it's, it's very brittle. But if you wanted to take your life, why didn't you? Um, really, really simple, honest answer is that at the time, I felt like I wasn't brave enough to do it. Okay. So I, I, I felt like it took, it would take guts to, you know, to, to, to purposely, you know, hurt your body or, um, or it, it, it's even then it's, you know, you're in kind of that survival mode, I guess, that kind of caveman mode of survival that, that overrides anything. Um, and yeah, so I guess, I, I guess I just didn't, despite it being the only thing I think about, I, I didn't feel like I had the guts to do it. So, so did you try? Yeah. Yeah. So I took, um, I took an overdo overdose at the start of January, 2019. Um, and was in hospital for, for a few days. Um, and, uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, I did. I did. And can you talk us through the process of what you were feeling in hospital and how you then started to rebuild, rebuild your life? Mm. Um, like, I, I, you know, it, it, I would love to say I woke up and I felt a relief. Um, and, and it was all rosy from there. But if I'm honest, I woke up and I was, I was like, I didn't, it didn't, you know, it's not over. I'm, I'm still feeling the same thing that that pain hasn't gone away. Yeah. You know, it's there again. Um, but I also felt like a, an unbelievable amount of guilt for my, for my wife, for my, for my family, um, that, that made it, made it even worse in some ways, actually. Yeah. So in some ways I was actually, I felt worse afterwards than I did before. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, just, and, and again, like I, I'm trying to think back to, you know, to different methods and, you know, people say about, you know, healthy habits in terms of eating well, exercise, um, talking to people, all, all of that sort of stuff, which I completely agree is 100% needed to do. But when you're that low, it's just, you've just got to weather the storm that you can't, you, you can't go out for a run. You can't, you, 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 I can't describe it. It's just, you, you physically can't do it. So you've just, you've just got to weather the storm. Um, 
and then when you when when that little bit of dinner comes back, you then you then run with it, and you and you and you work your nuts off to get to get better and to and to and to learn from everything that you've that's gone through in the past. And how much did doctors? So if I go back a year earlier, mm. year and a half earlier, when you were in Soto, because I think this is also quite an important story in the context of of, of this. We've jumped ahead. Yeah. You you were having a very difficult time, you mm. know, in in Soto, and and at the time I don't know if you realised how how tough a time you were having, but as as almost the closest person to you, I. I felt it very strongly, you know, mm. you were, you were working with counselors in Soto. It was a daily thing. It was, you know, can you make it to work today? Can you not? Where, where are you at? When mm. you came in, always did a fantastic job, you know, and you know, that was, that was never, never in doubt. What's amazing to me is that it got worse than that because it yeah. felt so, so low at that point. Mm. The, a story that I, I, if you don't mind me sharing, you know, it was a Sunday, it was a Sunday afternoon. I had friends around my house, you know, and, you know, having a barbecue, kids in the pool and what quite often came. And I know, I used to know what it was. Oh, are you there, Dan? Was the text that would come, you know, and I'm here. And that's when you started to tell me that you, you were, you were feeling that way. You were feeling like you didn't want to be here, you know, and you were, you were talking about taking your life. I, I then went round to, to Joe's house. Um, I booked two flights to, to London, you know, left everyone in the house off, you know, and, and that was the lowest I saw you and basically had to carry you into a car <laughs> You know, and, you know, you were having panic attacks. You know, we went through that. You know, I, I had your medication from, from your wife and she'd given me, you know, the medications that needed to be taken. We, we got to the airport in Gibraltar and it was scary. It wasn't, you know, seeing you like that, you know, and we, our flights, but lo and behold, our flights then got, in, it got delayed. And I don't know how much of this you remember. Yeah. Our flights got delayed in the middle of July for five hours which is crazy out of Gibraltar. And you said to me, I will, I can't, I, I'd managed to, I always felt that I could, you would listen to me and, and, and you were listening, but for five hours, you weren't going to listen to me. So I then went and said, look, is there any more flights? They said, there's one leaving in half an hour, but there's one ticket, yeah. one ticket. So I bought the ticket and I could, but it meant I couldn't fly with you, which, which I was originally planning. And I had your sister waiting at the other end and yeah. getting you straight into, into the hospital in, in, in the UK. Now, I remember basically checking you in because you were in no real state to check yourself in and I just had to get you to kind of give a wave. And then I had a sleeping pill. You know, we were talking away, talking away, and you opened up to me a, a little bit as we were in, but you, at that point you thought I was flying with you. I walked you up to the plane. And then I didn't have a ticket. I slipped a sleeping pill in your mouth yeah. and said, down that, and basically pushed you on the plane. Yeah. Heartbreaking, incredibly difficult, you know, 
for to, to experience that with a, a good friend. But when my thing on that, and I guess this is why I think it's an important story to tell, is you were ill. You were really, really ill. You know, you hadn't chosen to feel like that. You know, you were going through serious mental illness. But when you got back to England, there wasn't a bed for you. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't, you know, we couldn't, I was speaking to your sister almost hourly, we couldn't get you in to see a doctor in the whole of the United Kingdom yeah. where that you, the way that you were. Now that's, that's a massive, massive downfall of the, of the, of the medical system. Yeah, so, right. Did you eventually get it? What, what, what then happened? And I guess what's your experience of how, how the medical team and the NHS with the, on, on, the, on the mental health system works? Um, it was really poor. It was really poor when I look back now. Um, yeah, there was, I remember, uh, yeah, they're just not being, uh, it's also tough because I, I think, um, you know, my, my, at that time, my, the most important people in my world were my wife, my sister and, and, and you, Dan. And, um, and, and a lot of the conversation was going on between you three and I was just kind of being taken somewhere and, and, and whatever. So I wasn't kind of privy to the decision-making kind of things, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I then, I then stayed with, with my sister um, and, and just had, you know, I'd had a, from 2013 when I, like I said, when I first kind of thought there was an issue, I, I had a counselor that I spoke to and um, you know, I'd, I'd speak to her, but you then, that was great, but you, you can't afford to do that too much. You know, it's, it's, it's not cheap. Um, so, so yeah, in terms of, in terms of kind of setup, it's, it, it's, it really wasn't good at the time for me. I, I can only go on my experience, but it, it, wasn't, it wasn't good for me. So I had to kind of, it, it put what the thing it did actually, I, I don't think it necessarily had a big impact on me. It had a massive impact on my support network. You know, it put a lot of stress on, my sister I put a lot of stress on you put a lot of stress on my wife and and that's the thing that that i think i think it it fails more the support team because they then are burdened with a massive responsibility yeah which, is, which isn't easy for, for them yeah. and then again for the context of the story you know we're in fair play to you there's no holds barred here and you know there's you know there's people going to be listening to this you know with nothing but admiration for, for what you've gone through, but and, and it's going to give a lot of people strength that are going through similar things. But a couple of weeks after you got back, your mum got diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. And look at talking about your your glass of water. Yeah. And then and then died a few a few weeks later. Yeah. So yeah, again with that with that glass of water analogy, there was. Um, also, you know, we, we, we had a bad, we had a bad year, you know, we had, there was an element, there was a lot of bad luck in things as well. I mean, yeah. um, my wife and I were trying for a baby and, um, you know, we got pregnant twice and, 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 and lost the babies both times, which was, which was, which was tough. It was really tough for my wife, but, but tough for me to see her and feel like I can support her with that. And then, yeah. And then, and then my mum getting sick and, 
so so yeah straight away you know that that kind of feels like with that glass of water somebody's just poured a, a bucket in it you know it just it felt unbearable it felt unmanageable and that's it it, it felt like uh yeah that's when i felt like i just need to i just need to weather the storm here yeah and for and for people listening who who have either gone through this or, or the, like you touched on the support team i guess for me if i talk about me personally I felt like there was almost too much reliance on Soto Tennis. Yeah. You know, we've since talked about this. So I almost felt like, and I don't know if this was right, and please tell me if it wasn't, because there needs to be learning as well. Yeah. But I felt I needed to go a bit more tough love with you. Yeah. In terms of, I'm here, but if you want to call me, call me. But I'm also not just gonna be there to hang on every, you know. It all, it almost felt like to me, you weren't dealing with certain things yourself and taking certain responsibilities and and it, or, or that yourself. And and you know, I I've known you for years and I know that you're a tough son of a gun. And 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 I wanted to see you taking a little bit more responsibility yourself and not just not just relying on text message, text message, text message. Yeah. And, and because, it, because it felt you needed to start rebuilding some things. Mm. Was that the right thing to do, wrong thing to do? How would you advise the support, support team around you? It's, it's, it's so subjective is the issue. It's yeah. so subjective. So, so you made that decision based on knowing me for six, seven years. You know, I mean, we worked together you know, we were together 14 hours a day, every day for seven years, basically. Yeah. So you had the insight and, and the knowledge of me to make that call. And that was 100% the right call for me. 100% the right call for me. I, I would be maybe a bit cautious to, to say, yeah, that's what people should do because, yeah. because different people react in different ways, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and again, going back to that comparison, like I said at the start, where 100% of people have, have mental health issues, same with physical health you know you you can't you wouldn't treat a cold the same way as you treat another illness it's it's different and everybody's everybody's body reacts differently everybody's mind reacts differently so the 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 thing that yeah you, your judgment was right but it was based on the fact because you knew me incredibly well yeah um and yeah and that was actually exactly what i needed at the time it's a tough decision to make for you i know because because it can have such dire consequences but but yeah i mean it's it, yeah that was a big part because it wasn't it wasn't just you my, my wife and sister kind of less than my sister but people then took that stance with me a little bit yeah and and that was that was massive for me in turning things around like absolutely massive for me because it 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 made me, you know, I, I'm a big believer in, you know, linking back to tennis, we talk about this all the time, but take accountability. Yeah. 100% responsibility for your actions. There's, there's no one out there that you can rely, rely on 100% in terms of, you know, doing things for you. You have to take accountability and responsibility for your, for your actions. Um, and it made me, it made me do that. It made me do that. Joe, it's um, unbelievable listening to you, man. I'm, 
I'm just listening to this whole story and it's just, it's blown my mind, man. Just unbelievable listening to you and your courage to be able to come on and open up like this um, is really, really admirable, man. Um, I've seen you on the court and I know you mainly from being on a tennis court. You know, um, I've kept in touch with you over the, over the years. And like you said, my first experience seeing you was at Soto, Soto Grande on the tennis court and the professional job, uh, the high energy. I've seen you in my hometown in Dundalk and, and everything that you do, you do it to the best of your ability. I know that because I feel the energy off you and everything that you do around the people that's around you and the academy. And just when I listen to you now, I... I would never have seen any of those little things that you're talking about now, the idiosyncrasies and um, that you were suffering from depression. Um, And like Dan hinted on there, like what a mask that you must have been wearing to, Mm. you know, to, to carry that uh, over, over those years. And like I said, I'm just, I'm sitting back here and I'm, I'm in, I'm so admirable, admirable of, of of just the courage you have, man, to come on and open up for because it just shows that there must be a lot of people, a lot of coaches, a lot of people in different walks of life going through the same same problems. And and yeah, I mean, it's an unbelievable story, and I'm you know. <laughs> like Dan, just very, very thankful for you to be coming on, opening up, and explaining uh, the, the different types of issues. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's only possible to do. Like I never would have been able to do this a year. It would have been literally worst nightmare to to do something like this a year ago. You know, but I I've now realised, and and you know everybody says it, but but there's that element of thinking it's a weakness, you know. Like I, I don't want to share a weakness. I don't want to. I don't want to share something that I'm not very good at, or I'm not. I'm, I, yeah. I haven't done well enough. Um. But but now I I'm I'm kind of through that a bit. I guess I, I've realised that 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 it's it, it's really not. It's not at all. Um. And kind of going into to to positive because I, I I'm also 100% determined that this isn't going to define me. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not just, uh, you know, a guy who's had mental health issues. I, I, I feel like I'm a, I'm decent at my job. I feel like I, I can be a, a decent guy. Like it's not, it's not everything about me. It doesn't, it doesn't define me. Um, well, the, the first thing that comes into my head, uh, Joe, is courage, man. You know, that's what I'm saying to you. The first thing you coming on and opening up like this. The, the word that comes into my head is, is courage. I see a guy that's got a lot of courage, a lot of strength to be able to, to, to speak like this. Uh, and I think that's amazing. I think that's unbelievable. Um, so th- th- they're the things that hit me as, I, as I'm sitting back and, and listening to you speak about this so openly. Thanks, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. Um, and, and I think... The way kind of moving forward, Dan, if that's okay, to, to kind of how I'm, I've been feeling, I guess, the last 12 months or so. Um, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it. <laughs> I wouldn't change it because that's been my path. And, and I feel like now I'm, a, I'm 100% a better tennis coach, 100%, because I can empathize with more people. I can, if, if anybody I coach is going through or I spot signs of similar things, 
I can, I can relate to it more. So, uh, so, so I'll be a better tennis coach. I'm a better, I think I'd be a better husband. I think I'd be a better father. Like it's taught me so many things um, that, that now when I look back, uh, I think it's, it's positively enhanced my life and it's made me, it's made me better rather than, like I said, that fear of it defining me, I guess, at the st- uh, which was the worry at the start. It's, it's, it's definitely made you a better fantasy football player. Yeah, for sure. There's a link there, wasn't there, for sure. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, I mean, again, I mean, we've, had, we've had fantasy football WhatsApp groups for, for years. And the way to beat Dixon, get into, get into him a bit, slip a few little comments. He was, he was, like, he was like a bull to a red rag. Literally, he would, go, he would go at it. The text banter would fly. I'd sit that, sit back with a little smirk. Done for the season. Done for yeah. the season. <laughs> Mine's completely a watch. This season, I've tried every trick in the book, yeah. and he's just bounced off him. Bounced off him. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah. So, joking. I've changed from a Keegan to a Fergie. I think it's, it's where I've gone. It's 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 a little bit of a joke, but there is a message in there. It's very, again someone who's very close to you, Joe. It's very noticeable. Yeah, it, it is very noticeable. Those small bits, you know, you're you're more secure about yourself. You feel, you know, you I can tell that you're feeling feeling stronger, and, mm. and which which is brilliant. We, how did you build up? So if we talk about talk about you, I guess your, your glass again, which I think is a great analogy. How yeah. did you start losing water from that glass to yeah. get yourself back? back on track to have 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 such strong mental health now yeah the, the first thing is like i said you weather the storm and you wait until the storm has passed that little bit and then you feel like you feel like the weather's changing i know it sounds like a really simple thing but but it took <laughs> I, I was weathering that storm for about eight months um and then when i felt that little bit of of hope I just, I just ran with it. I just ran with it. And, um, and, and I've been determined to use it as a, as a positive in my life, but, but also the, it's surrounding yourself with good people. You know, we, I've talked about this so much before in my whole, you know, coaching is about people. Life is about people. It's about building relationships. You know, we can talk about anything you want on turn in a tennis court We can talk about forehands, backhands, it's about how you make a person feel. Do, do they trust you? Do they feel like you're in their corner? Do they feel like that you want truly what's best for them, even if it's not what's best for the coach? You know, that, that's what life is all about. And I, I've, I've been lucky that, you know, I've then, um, I, I, I came into, you know, I started a bit of work again and with, with Dave, who was my coach when I was, when I was a kid. So somebody I'd known for uh, 20 years. Um, so I had somebody who I knew wanted what was best for me. I had my family who I knew, given everything that was going on, wanted what was best for me. Um, so I, I just felt safe. I felt safe, I guess. And then from there, I'm just determined to, 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 to make sure that it's going to have a positive impact on not just my life, but hopefully, hopefully I can then help 
a few other people with it as well. And how do you stop, stop it happening again? Uh, good question. Um, again, the, the glass analogy, I've just got to make sure that I just make slight, when things are good, like they are now, that, that, that's the time to make smarter choices when things are good. You know, so that kind of, you think of it like injury prevention kind of thing, you know, so instead of, instead of waiting until your calf pops and having to rehab it, do the injury prevention, but the, yeah, do the injury prevention before it happens. Um, and that balance of being all in, giving my all to my job, giving my all to my players, but knowing that for me to give my all to my players, I have to be in good shape. So if that means that I take a bit more time, I spend more time with my family, I spend more time doing the things that I, I enjoy, I've, I've, I guess, come to the realisation that, that I don't have to physically be on a court for 14, 15 hours a day to be doing a good job. You know, I can, I can sit back and take a bit of time and the players will still know that, that I care. The players will still know that I'm in their corner. Um, but, but I'm looking after myself. So, so as a result, I'm then going to be in a better shape to, to look after them. Very good. And, and to make it a little bit more tennis specific. Yeah. In terms of, in terms of mental health in tennis, do you, do you think the sport can do a better job? Do you think do you think we can do a better job as coaches? What are some of the things for coaches to watch out for? Parents, yeah. language, terminology, talk, all of these different things. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've always been, we talked about this lots when, you know, when we were at the academy together. It starts with us as coaches. We're the adults. It starts with us. So whether that be energy and intensity on a court, good habits with warm-up, whatever it may be, that it starts with us. So we need to make sure that we are um, looking out for what is true. The main thing, our main job as a coach is to make sure that our players are happy and healthy. And if they are that, then they have the best chance of being good tennis players. So if we can look out for any signs that it may be and, and have an open dialogue and have a build, take time to build a relationship so that we have an open dialogue with, with our players and they feel comfortable sharing things, then, then I think that's a great starting point because people will then be more open to talking, it will get conversations flowing and it will stop, it will stop things um, growing and becoming bigger and bigger until something comes out and it's unmanageable. So it's as coaches, as adults, it starts with us. I think it's a, I think it's a great point, Joe. And you know, we speak to coaches all the time in Ireland, UK, and across the world. And you think there's a tendency then within the coaching fraternity that, um, particularly with tennis coaching being an individual sport, there's a there's an element of <clears throat> loneliness to the to the to the job. You know, particularly if you're, let's say, you're on the road a lot, yeah. like you said you had been. Um, you know, maybe that if you work on your own a lot, it, that you think that these things are, they can be contributors towards, you know, these types of feelings that 
Ma massively, yeah. massively. So, you know, it's yeah. a sport where, uh, and let's be honest, money, it comes down to money a lot of the time, you know. Any player, so I was listening to, to, to Pete Bothwell's pod with you guys, and, you know, obviously I know Pete very well. If he could, he would have a coach with him and a S&C coach with him every week. Of course he would, because he'd be done better. But he's got company. He's got somebody to chat with. He's got. He, he's going to be happier. But but it's not always financially possible. So so yeah, you end up. You know, we've all had trips where you go away with with one player and they lose first round cues, and then you you're sitting around trying to hustle practice courts for for a week. There's a lot of there's a lot of dead time there. Um. So yeah, it definitely contributes. But 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 I think if we can just as coaches make it make ourselves more open to, to these kind of chats, then I think we'll be, it will go a massive way to, to helping things. The, the other thing as well is I think it's so easy with juniors for coaches and, and to, to label them, you know, to label them as, ah, he's, you know, big moments, he's a bit weak. You know, he goes away a bit. No, you can be talking about a 14 year old kid. You have no idea what's going on in his head and his life and his background. You know, to, to label a kid in, in all sorts of ways, so with mental health or anything, though, you know, if you label somebody as a certain as a certain type of person or a certain character, I think that's a really dangerous thing to do. So it's just having that compassion to understand that sometimes it's not possible for, for, for kids to go out there and give everything every day of every year. So sometimes there's going to be times when things get the better of them, you know, and it's our job to then help them and, and, and see what we can do to make that better. But I think judging kids and, and labeling kids is, is a really dangerous way to go. Joel. Yeah. Are you opening up like this? Mm. Do you, do you fear that you will be viewed unfavorably if you went for a job? Yes. Straight up, yes. <laughs> Why have you opened up? Because um, <laughs> cause I, I think something needs to change. I think it needs to change, I think. Um, People need to realise that, like I said, I think it's my belief that 100% of people have mental health issues to some degree. Um, and people need to realise it's not a weakness. Um, and it can actually be a, um, a massive plus that that experience of going through tough times. I mean, if, I, if I'm trying to teach a kid about resilience on a match court, I think I'm in a far better position doing it now than I was when I was 21. Yeah, nothing to do with tennis. You know, I I feel like I have a better understanding of, of, uh, you know, we've talked about this so many times, Dan, but how tennis can have so many transferable skills into life, and life can have so many transferable skills into tennis. Um. So, but yeah. So it's, to go back to your question, something I, I definitely. So my my when you when we talked about this for the first time, I thought there was definitely a part of me that thought, you know, am I going to be looked at as Am I going to be defined by it? Am I going to be looked at as a, a liability? Oh. Um, 
am I going to be looked at as a, a ticking time bomb for something to go wrong again in 5, 10, 15, 20 years? So yeah, all those thoughts went through my mind. I'm not, I, I can't lie and say they didn't. Yeah. Um, but if we ignore it, it's not going to change. You know, if, if, I, then, if I then keep quiet um, and say, you know, actually, Dan, I don't want to because I'm worried that I might not get a job in five, ten years. Then, then what sort of message is that then sending out to, to, to kids in terms of changing, changing the culture? Is it, and again, I'll go back to the phrase, but it, as coaches, it starts with us. Yeah. Very good. And if, you, and if you had a message to future employers, what would your message be? Uh, I'm, I'm going to do my own thing, so, so I don't have a message. <laughs> so that's another, like, I'm, I'm now convinced that, you know, I'm, I'm committed to, you know, right now I'm working with and for someone that I, I have complete respect and trust for, so I feel very, very safe there. But long term, I want to I wanna do my own thing. I want to I wanna create something in, you know, we, we've now decided as a family that we're going we're gonna to stay home for our children's upbringing. Um, so I, I, I don't feel like I need to worry about that because I'm going to go out and, and uh, that competition side comes back in a bit of like, I don't need your job because I'm going to try and do a better job. I'm going to try and do something better. Um, I've known this for years, by the way, that, that Joe... Joe's, that Joe's suited to run, to run his own thing. <laughs> he's, the, he's, the only, he's the only employee I've ever had who's gone completely head-to-head -head with me. <laughs> We're trying to basically take the director's job off me. <laughs> no, but that, with that, with that, to, to, give me a, to, to defend myself a little bit there, I was lucky because I, I, I agree. Like, I feel like I, I'm more than ever now, I feel like I'm suited to doing my own thing. But, but I was lucky with Soto that, that I completely 100% aligned with the values, beliefs system that you, that you, I had the set exactly the same beliefs as you, which made it then possible. Um, maybe challenged a few, a few things now and again. Um, but yeah, so, so, so that made it so much easier to, and, and, and was a great experience for me because I wasn't ready at 23, 24 to try and do my own thing. Like I was a, I was a baby. So, so to be around, not just you, Kino, but, you know, to give, I guess, Soto a bit of a plug, but great people like Nathan and so many others. I can't name them all, but um, yeah, that, that gave me such a good grounding for, for then going into to do my own thing because I mean I disagreed with with a few of your decisions and looking back if you'd taken my advice you probably wouldn't have a tennis academy anymore <laughs> so so um so yeah so it, it just means that I uh yeah I, I feel a bit more ready for it for it now than I was when I was still in nappies if you're not willing to do it I will not not necessarily that you're looking for a job but for anyone that has gone through or anyone that's listened to, to, to Joe's story, the, the, the passion, the resilience, the, the determination, the empathy, you know, they, they shine bright, Joe. You know, they really do. They, you know what I think of you and, you know, you've, 
you're a big reason Soto Tennis is what Soto Tennis is today. You know, six, six and a half years, it's it's pretty much 70% of the time that we've been open and you, you alongside Nathan in, in the first instance, uh, are two massive reasons for, as well as many other people, Soto Tennis is, is what it is. And and you you continue to, to to give those every single day. You throw yourself wholeheartedly into it. Um, speaking to you today and and speaking to you over the last few months, I can see that this experience, as tough as it's been, has has made you stronger. It's made you more accountable. You know, it's made you t- made you take more responsibility. And from what was already, you were already a, a fantastic tennis coach. You know, there's there's no doubt that you're going to go on to become an even better tennis coach, uh, uh, an even better manager. Um, and the future is very, very bright. Um, thank mm-hmm. you so, so much for for coming on and for, for just opening yourself up to, you know, for everyone. And, you know, I as close as I am to you, I've learned a lot talking to you tonight. And I, and I know that everyone is, is going to going to take so much from it. So a massive thank you. Thank you, mate. Could I give a little, use this time to give a little plug for Support for Sport as well? Yeah, absolutely. So, so like I said, in terms of how this is going to posit- positively impact my coaching and, and my work um, on the tennis court, which is, which is what, I, what I do day to day, I'm also in the starting a process, which isn't easy of, of uh, a charity called Support for Sport. So I've gone through many different ways of thinking how it's going to work, but my plan is hopefully in the next in the next years to come to 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 fundraise to then have some money so that if any British tennis players or coaches are, are struggling um, and finance is, is limiting their chance of getting some help, that hopefully I'll be able to to help a few people with that so that they're not getting help just because of finance because i you know we've talked about it in in tennis but um for a lot of players it's it's they're not doing it for the money and a lot of coaches they're not doing it for the money so um so hopefully that will be something a little project for people to keep an eye on that will hopefully uh help a, a fair few people strength courage and honesty they're the three things that shines out in this podcast for me listening to you Joe Dixon like I said before amazing listening to you and, and your and your journey massive massive thank you man cheers man appreciate it thank you very much Joe cheers guys wow how, how good was that um, from Joe you know some some deep some deep things in there some 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 dark stories but some absolute realities and an insight that we rarely get we rarely get to have someone that's strong enough to come and open up like that about what they've been through and um, says so much about the man that is Joe Dixon um, a good friend and nothing but respect for him for for everything that he does already but then for the bravery for him to speak for the for the absolute right reasons you know as he says it starts with us you know it's it starts with us starts with us as coaches that's how culture is formed that's how environments are formed 
and, and he's leading from the front in sharing that story. Um, I really hope you take a lot from it. Um, as I said at the start of the show, please do reach out, um, share this, share this story far and wide. You know, this is this is not just about entertainment. This is about making a difference in people's lives, and I really do believe that this podcast is extremely powerful, and and I'd love for it to get into the right people's hands, to for people to know that they're not the only ones going through these difficult times. So a big thank you to Joe, Joe Dixon and a massive thank you to you guys. We hope you're finding Mental Health Awareness Week helpful um, and taking lots from it. We have one more podcast tomorrow from a, from a player, Matt Hingley, who's played at the lower levels of professional sport but also the reality of where a lot of the mental health battles are. And then on Saturday, we'll have Anthony Ross, who will give us the, the expert eyes and um, give us lots of different solutions and lots, lots, of, lots of things to consider. Um, so all in all, we really hope that the week has, is working out for you guys and, and thank you for all of your support. Okay, for now, I'm Dan Kiernan, my co-host, John McGann, we are control the controllables.